Welcome to the Sports and Stilettos podcast. Hey everybody, Rachel V. Hill here. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Emily Staker, who is an agent for women in the sports broadcasting world. Emily and I started off chit-chatting and we just dove straight into the conversation about how she didn't go looking for this path. It chose her. Here's Emily. Cool. And I was actually working for an NFL agent and I really thought that's what I wanted to do is to be a sports agent specifically in the NFL because that's really, um, you know, the sport that I love the most that I know the most about. And I had done these, you know, they law school has these different like negotiation competitions. Um, and so, you know, we went to like a national professional football contract negotiation competition and we were placing like second and first and second in the nation and felt really good about it. Um, but, and I really did, I had a great mentor. He still is a mentor to me, the agent that I worked for. Um, it was more of a boutique agency, which is very much a different experience than like if you're working at like creative artists or you know a bigger agency like just the type of work that you're going to get as an intern or extern or associate it's just different um but I just through galvanize you know I obviously started to you know have these amazing relationships and amazing friendships with women in this industry. And it just sort of happened where, um, you know, my friends were just texting me like very basic questions. And um, I was, of course, so happy to just help them in any way that I can. Because obviously, when you uh, know women in the industry, you're exposed very much to how hard it is. And just that personal element of knowing you know, the, the true struggles of signing an unfair contract and not being able to get out of it or working under a director that is actually undermining you every single day. Um, those are things that, that really bothered me. And also just um, sort of the poor quality of agents in that space that I was exposed to. Um, I know people who are still paying agents that they have fired for current work because of the contracts that they signed with those agents um, basically entitled that agent to a portion of any work that that person would get Um, and that really just does not sit well with my spirit you know I I'm really passionate about helping like of course um, you know I I am so happy to represent the women at the top of course but I'm really really passionate about getting the women who are just starting out you know I usually um, take clients on when they're on their like second or third job and they're getting like 40 or 50,000 something around there depending on the market but that's to me where the most impactful work is because it can really make a difference if you have somebody, advocating for you. One, I think having a third party advocate for you, it makes it easier for you to go to work. You know, it's hard to be in that position when you're trying to like keep that relationship as an employee, especially if you're like asking for a raise or like they're coming in with a really low offer. Like that can be a really uncomfortable conversation to have if it's just you and your employer and I think having a third person especially with you know a legal background or an attorney um it just sort of 
puts a little sunlight on it. And I think uh, employers, from my experience, sort of act a little more um, ethical when they know that there's a little more accountability. And so just seeing the impact that I could make on the women that I loved and cared for, it was something that I just felt was right to step into. and it just sort of happened. You know, I just sort of started answering those emails and texts. And then it just sort of um, became so time consuming that I was like, okay, I need to start, you know, like charging money for this. <laughs> and so um, that's just kind of how it started. And, you know, going to um, your point about the variety of my services, that's just kind of why I have a variety is, I mean, one, we're in a pandemic, we're going to go into a recession, like we're having a national crisis. Um, Like, the economy is not booming. And so I like, regardless of any of this, it's super important to me that my services are accessible. But especially now, like, it's become more important than ever that um, I am at least accessible in some way to women. Um, so that they can get the help that they need. How often do you see employers lowball talent members? You know, it really depends, one, on the network, and two, just on, like, the experience of the woman. I think it's really, really common for women just starting out to get lowballed, like, really common, because you don't know what your worth is. I mean, of course you like everyone should know their worth in like a, you know, symbolic sense, but it's really hard if you're just starting out to say, okay, I, I am worth this much dollar sign. Um, and so I think that they certainly do capitalize on that. And some networks are just really, um, tricky with that, especially in terms of just like, length and um, their terms for having to buy out your contract if you want to leave and go to a different network. Um, Those are kind of the spaces that I see um, things that I don't love. You know, if I'm not negotiating, I still offer review and I just bill hourly. And so I'll just look at a contract and see stuff like that and point it out to the one and say, hey, you know, you should really think about this because, you know, let's say that you have a terrible work environment like do you really want to have to buy yourself out of a terrible work environment after a year you know so it's tough but you know it's sort of in in some ways it's important to get that experience but I would prefer it if um you know no one had to learn it the hard way you know yeah absolutely when do you think is the right time for talent to get an agent? Do you think it's a good idea to get it right out of college or should you wait until you're headed into a big network or what's your personal Mm -hmm. opinion being on that side? Yeah, I, I actually don't take clients right out of college. I mean, I'll do like some of my alternative services, like, um, the job counseling and the negotiation prep, but in terms of, you know, an annual client, like, I just, it, it just doesn't seem ethical to me because I just don't really think I have that much value to them. And, you know, it's, it's a big financial decision to be giving somebody a portion of your paycheck. You know, that's, that's what it is, is we're commission based. And so um, when you're, you know, 22, like that's, 
that's a little bit of a big decision to be making right out of the gate. And it's really important that you be sure that this is your path, you know, because it's super normal um, to, you know, do some on camera and then maybe you fall in love with producing or maybe you fall in love with something completely different. And, you know, having an agent while you're figuring that out just complicates it. And I think the biggest focus for any woman just coming out of college should just be growth and not necessarily, I mean, of course you should be, um, you know, making enough money to live wherever you're working. And a lot of the times that includes two jobs. Like I know a lot of uh, women who start out do two jobs to get through it. Um, But that's just kind of the name of the game. And it's a learning process for sure, but you know, I I I am always reticent to um, encourage women that young to really commit to something because it really is like a serious relationship. You know, it's no different from like any other important relationship in your life. Um, at least I treat it that way. You know, I really um, try and make sure that my clients know that I am there for them for anything. But yeah, it's just different. And so in terms of when, you know, it's different for everyone. Um, If you're, I would say my best gauge for when you need it is if you're actively trying to climb markets. Um, So if you look at like, you know, there's like a whole list of like, you know, the top market to like the, I think it's like a hundred, like they have a pretty saw lists in terms of um, viewership and ratings and stuff like that. And so if you're actively like, you know, trying to move up uh, or trying to move into a very specific role, like silent reporting for a specific network, I think having an agent can be really helpful. Um, One, for connections, um, that's huge. But two, I think once you start, you know, talking about bigger numbers, it just becomes that much more important. For you building the relationships to have all those contacts, how did you even get started? Because I'm sure there's a million and one people who you could probably talk to. Yeah, yeah. Um, A lot of it actually was from uh, my work as or in the NFL agency because we were doing I was sort of a media liaison for the players. Um, so I got a lot of contacts that way. And then of course, through galvanize also, I have a breadth of, uh, contacts in both networks and teams, um, which I love having connections in teams because, um, they really value recommendations from people they trust, uh, especially teams, you know, they're very selective and they want people who they know that they can rely on and trust. And so I think um, if you're looking to get a position in a team, you definitely want to try and go through a point of recommendation. Um, You're much more likely to succeed that way, I would say. And on your website, you talk about empowering women in the sports broadcasting industry. So do you only work Mm -hmm. with women or, or do you have men there as well? Yeah, so I only represent women. Um, You know, it's just, it's uh, part of my uh, mission, you know, as a person. I love it. (laughs) Um, You know, I just, um, of course, like men should be represented and represented well, but history has told us that they already are. 
And I don't feel um, like I would be serving a true uh, purpose and, um, you know, contributing in a meaningful way if I wasn't sort of, um, you know, remedying something that is is really wrong, especially in this industry. Like, I, I literally have a huge spreadsheet. Um, and it's interesting, like talking about men, I have a whole spreadsheet of salaries for certain positions in certain markets of women who have told me their salaries and men. And I think it's so important for men to share their salaries um, because I don't think they realize the, the difference and they don't think about it because they don't have to, but it's so important. It's so helpful, not only for me, of course, advocating for my clients, but even if you don't have an agent and you do ask you know, your male counterpart or a peer or, you know, a male in the position that you're seeking, like, what are they making? Like, that can be like a $10,000, $15,000 difference sometimes or more. Like, it's pretty significant. So, you know, I feel like I'm really serving um, a true need. Um, and it's economically sustainable for me. And it's fulfilling. And so, as long as it continues to be that, I am just going to continue. <laughs> wow, that's $10,000 to $15,000 difference, huh? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty alarming. Um, wow. You know, I just, it's really important to have those conversations. And it's not just this industry, it's every industry, but um, it's even more stark for you know, black women and minority women, like they uh, definitely get like the worst offers for, um, you know, obvious reasons. Uh, (laughs) I don't think I need to go into that right (laughs) now. I think it's been pretty obvious, but it's it's just more um, of a reason that like white women and men should be having those conversations because do you really want to be uh, you know, compensated for unfair reasons, you know, like I I wouldn't be able to sit with that. So I think it's something that it's of course a very personal decision, but I think it's the right thing to do. Wow. Uh, Yeah. That blows my mind. And obviously with all the black life matter, I've saw that you've, uh, done a lot of things on your social media accounts regarding the Black Lives Matters, uh, including talking about businesses and every other thing. So I guess for you, what are you doing to hopefully continuing to make a difference? Obviously, I think we're all trying to learn and listen right now. But is there anything specific that you're trying to do? Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's a great question. Um, it's really important. You know, I think it's sort of twofold. You know, the first thing is, there's a personal level, which is, you know, as a white person, you know, I think it's important for every white person to take time to reflect on how we've benefited from an unfair system. And it doesn't mean feel guilty. Um, It doesn't mean like feel sad. I mean, you should maybe feel sad. (laughs) Um, But it, I think being aware, like you can't really change and improve if you don't think anything's wrong, you know, so it's super, super important to reflect on how was I benefited at school? How was I benefited in work? How am I benefited in the most blase social situations that I don't even think about? You know, um, I'm from an extremely white rural neighborhood in North Idaho, and that 
did not prevent me in any way from, uh, you know, growing and educating myself as a person. So I don't have a lot of patience with people who, um, you know, are kind of slow to the educational process for that reason. <laughs> like if I could do it, like anyone can do it. If you have, if you could see the community that I came from, anyone can do it. But, you know, the second part when you're a professional and especially a professional that represents women and I represent black women, um, you know, right now I've been really checking in with them one and I, you know, allyship has been something that's been important to me for, you know, year, like a decade or more, like really, really important. Um, I've, I've seen how it has broken the hearts of some of my best friends. And so that, that hurts me too. Um, and even though I can never feel that, like for me right now, I'd say the biggest things are just listening to my clients, like really listening and hearing how they're feeling and what they need, you know, because I'm not going to inject myself and say, oh, you need this. You know, that's, it's not my place to, uh, you know, put that on them. I think it's more so a time for us to ask them what they need from us Um, because they'll tell you. (laughs) So I I know that's uncomfortable for a lot of people, but especially in my position, like more so in my position than probably a lot. But when you are representing Black women, like, you know, I like I have a fiduciary duty to uh, represent them to the best of my ability. And I cannot do that if I do not understand uh, the intimate struggles of racism that they face every single day. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. And, you know, just really taking in as much information as we can right now uh, to try and get their voices to be heard, I think is just so very important. And I guess when you're looking at potential clients to start to work with, what are some things that you really think make them stand out? Yeah, you know, it's different for everyone. For me, I would say the most important thing is that they really have um, a great sense of purpose and drive and they really know like what it is that they want to do because from an agent's perspective it's really hard to represent someone when they don't even know what they want you know and that's just sort of another reason that it's hard to represent women straight out of college because like you might not know like what region you want to live in or you know, what size of market you want to work in, you know, or what sports specifically, if you want to limit yourself to a specific sport, like which one is it? Um, So when women connect with me and they say, you know, I want to cover football for Fox Sports South, like that makes my life a lot easier, right? And so um, I think having a clear vision for yourself to me says a lot about that person. To me, it says that they've given it a lot of consideration, and that's definitely the client that I want to represent um, because they're not going to, you know, my biggest fear, right, is to use a contact to give an opportunity and then to have the client, you know, sort of flake out, which has never happened. But of course, that's like my biggest fear because that not only affects my reputation, but it affects, um, you know, how I'm able to help clients in the future. And so 
it it is just a great sign for me when a woman connects with me and she has a very strong um, idea of what she wants and what that looks like for her and how she wants to feel. Um, I think that's really important too. Even if you're not getting an agent, I think it's really important for everyone to take a moment to say, how do I want to be made to feel in a workplace? Because there are a lot of workplaces that will make you feel extremely bad. And you need to be cognizant of that when you are you know, interviewing, because they're not just interviewing you, you're interviewing them. And it can be a really intimate environment. You know, you're spending grueling hours there. Like if you're an MMJ, like, you know, you are grinding. And so you do not want to be working MMJ hours in a place that treats you like crap, you know? So um, especially for young women, like it's so important to know the type of environment that you want. And I know like leaders can't be choosers, of course, but it's so important to set those good boundaries early. Um, It will benefit you professionally in the long run for sure. The agent life is like honestly so interesting to me because do you guys reach out to potential clients or do you mostly just wait for them to reach out to you to kind of build that relationship? How do you go about that? Yeah, I mean, mine is probably a little nuanced. Um, I don't like I don't recruit clients. Um, I through galvanize, I'm just really passionate about connecting with women in this industry from that perspective, because that's what galvanize is all about. It's just that sense of connectivity, and support, like, that's really my approach to it. And I hope that, you know, um, you know, a lot of my clients are through referrals. Um, which I love that makes me super happy and so that's kind of my been my approach is to just not really you know beg for anything you know in in honoring Laura and Galvanize it's the beast of honey thing I don't know if you know that that story but you know you want to be the honey right you want to be the honey that the bees come to you don't want to have to be going out of your way what to me that's sort of disingenuous and I think a lot of people of course it's different like the NFL when you're competing for multi-million dollar contracts like that is an extremely competitive environment Um, but that was one of the turnoffs for me honestly because recruiting clients um, just sort of inherently causes a lot of um, disingenuous behavior uh, it's, it's pretty scummy sometimes. And it's hard because, you know, with players, they're like 18, 19, sometimes when they're having first conversations with agents, um, even if they're not being like openly recruited, they're still being recruited. Um, and even if they're, you know, 20 or whatever, and they're going to the NFL leaving college, like it just, it's, um, sort of predatory. And so I think that exposure really shaped, my approach, which is, you know, I just really want it to be authentic and organic and that takes time, but I have the time and I'm willing to put it in and, um, just through the galvanized network and my clients, um, it's, it's been a pretty good, you know, stream of business and I'm pretty happy where I'm at. Yeah. I honestly, you know, when you talk about the NFL and being such young men and them being recruited, you don't actually think like 
sometimes I think we just think of them completely as athletes, you know what I mean? And then Mm -hmm. you remember that they are people. And at 18 years old, they're being offered so much money as that whole part blows my mind. And then again, you know, an agent can take, is it 8% of a player's contract? I know, I know it can go up and down. It varies for sure. Um, A lot of them just do like 3%. Um, If you're, in the NFL, I think it's three, the CBA requires it to be a cap of 3%, but you can go lower if you're competing. Um, but you know, 3% of a $20 million <laughs> contract is not, you know, a small undertaking. So it's still a nice paycheck. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And the marketing contracts in most, yeah, in pretty much all professional sports, those are uncapped. So you can structure your percentage of that however you want. I think the industry standard is somewhere between 10 and 15. And that's where most of the money is if you have pretty high profile clients anyways. So yeah, they do fine. (laughs) Wow. Honestly, we would have to do a whole nother episode, I'm sure, on just like uh, players because that's a whole nother beat on its own. Uh, I do want to do one thing that I learned, and I wish I would have known this before having an agent, is that an agent will send out, you know, if there's one job, he they could send out 10 clients of theirs, right, to this one mm-hmm. job. How do yeah. you go about making sure that each client kind of differs, even if you are putting them towards one job? Yeah, so I will never, never, never um, put two clients up for the same job. To wow, me, that's, that's a awesome. Huge, that's a huge conflict of interest for me. And like, yeah, that's why I think it's important to consider having an agent who's an attorney because we have really strict ethical guidelines. And that's really important to me. Like I, I, I not to brag, but I won an award for ethics in law school. Like ethics are very important to me um, on a professional level. And so I think when you have an attorney, like we just approach those things differently. And then as a person, you know, I feel like I'm failing if I'm just throwing all my clients at the same position because there's just no way that 10 of my clients all want that same exact thing, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. You know, I really, like on all of my intake forms and all of our conversations, like I really want to know, like, what do you want your life to look like? You know, I want to know every single detail so that when I see opportunities coming down the line, I can make sure that they're getting sent to the best fit possible. You know, I have moms, I have women who are, you know, doing a total career pivot, you know, going from one industry to this one, Um, which is different for everybody. And I really do feel like I've failed if I'm just throwing everything at the one job. And I think also that that doesn't reflect uh, well on me as an agent from the network either you know I'd rather say hey this is the best person that I have for this job I think that that says a lot more Mm -hmm. I I love that that speaks volumes I feel like Uh, but a little bit about you I guess what's a day in the life like for you yeah (laughs) oh it's it's (laughs) great um you know I usually wake up at about five and I am currently training for um, a half iron man so I will either Right now I'm rotating between like running 10 to 13 miles a day and biking like 20 to 30 right now. And then I haven't been able to, 
swim very much because it's just, you know, not really a viable option right now. And so that's just kind of been the way that I start the day. To me, that's really important. That's for whatever reason, you know, I'm, I'm very introverted. And so having that alone time to work out is when I do a lot of my processing. Um, and that's kind of how I start my day. And so that's really helpful for me to just get that time to kind of get the wheels turning. Um, and then I have a one-year-old dog, so he's still a puppy in my eyes. Um, and so we usually go out on a, a walk. And then throughout that, just because I'm on Pacific time, by that point, you know, if it's six or seven, like I'm already having conversations with, you know, my girls on the East Coast and my contacts on the East Coast. So it starts pretty early. Um, and then it just, you know, it really depends on the day. Some days I'm working like 16 hours straight, just doing either contract review and calls and check-ins. And sometimes, you know, one client is having a huge issue. Um, you know, maybe they need to consider litigation for something. Like it just really depends. Um, you can never really plan for it because it's just sort of the nature of this position is you just have to be adaptable and you have to be able to figure out like sort of the hierarchy of what you need to do, you know, if that makes sense. And I don't ever want to get to a point where I am, you know, not taking care of everyone because of like somebody's emergent needs. Um, so I, I really like the balance that I'm in right now. I feel like I'm still able to make sure that everyone is taken care of. And then on top of that, you know, I'm getting my master's in taxation. Um, so right now I'm in two tax classes. Um, and so that's been interesting. You know, I really like tax and math. I do math all the time for the contracts that I negotiate and just sort of figuring that out. And I did it all the time for sort of the statistical work in the agency. And so I really enjoy that. It's a nice breakup from my usual day, but that work usually doesn't get started until like eight or nine at night. And so it's been some long days, but, um, you know, it's all good. I, I am enjoying it. And so the day that I stop enjoying it is that'll be the day that I need to stop and sort of reconsider what I'm doing. <laughs> How often are you reaching out to clients? Because it seems like you're on an extremely personal level with all of them. So are you talking to them like once a week, once a month at least? Yeah, it really depends, you know. And this is why it's actually similar to athletes is it, you know, everyone has different needs. Some of my vets, you know, who have like 10, five to 10 plus years of experience, like they need less help, you know. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that I'm not like, checking in and, you know, having casual conversations, like that's all definitely still important to me is just keeping that um, relationship strong. But, you know, for my younger women, like those usually need a little more work, whether it's, hey, what do you think of this outfit that I was going to wear on air today? Or like, you know, what do you think of, you know, this stand up? Or what do you think of my reel? Or who, who can I go for coaching? Like stuff like that. It happens a lot more with my younger clients. And also, like, it's just really important to me that I am there as um, someone who will listen to whatever. 
you know? Um, and I don't, you know, I don't charge for that, but it's just super important to me because uh, one thing I do know about this industry is it's really hard to explain to people what it's like when they're not in it. Like it, it's really hard. Like I've tried and, you know, my family has like no idea what I do. Like I've ex- tried to explain it and they're like, and what again? Like they just have no idea. And so um, I, I definitely try and be that person for them uh, and just be there to really kind of understand <laughs> the highs and the lows um, because I know that, that that isn't always easy, especially if you come from a family where nobody was a broadcaster or nobody was in sports. Like, that can be really isolating. Obviously, we were able to connect because of Galvanize, because of Laura. So how did you originally get to know Laura? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, she tweeted out that she was looking for an intern. And I emailed her. Uh, a cover letter that I really prided myself on because it was very vulnerable. You know, I am the first woman in my family to um, attend college and graduate from college and the first person in my family to ever pursue a career in law, go to law school, graduate from law school. So Congratulations, I was a first. By the way. Oh, thank you. Yes, I was, a, I was a first in a lot of ways. And that was really hard for me, especially being from a super rural area. And for whatever reason, you know, Laura loves stories. And so I think she just liked my story. And she called me within like 10 minutes of me sending my email. (laughs) And, you know, we just really connected. I think um, it's probably obvious to you, like she and I very much speak the same language. Um, We're very like person centric. um, And like, really, you know, I, I definitely have tried to continue to model myself after her in terms of just being as authentic as I can and uh, as heartfelt as I can. Um, and, you know, I, I definitely think it's, um, it's so much more than just like me. Cause I did intern for her and did a lot of galvanized stuff, but it was so much more than that, you know, and now it's, it's so much more than that. Like, um, I just, I could count on her for anything and she knows that she could count on me for anything. So um, it's a great relationship. You know, it's so important to have a mentor. And what I love about Laura is she like, she doesn't limit her mentorship to just women who are pursuing the same career as her. Like what I love is one of my great friends, Heather, she works on Wall Street. Like she's like a, a very like, um, high up broker on Wall Street. And she just reached out to Laura because again, similar to me, she's super passionate about, you know, empowering women in her space. And because that was really important to her, she saw that that was really important to Laura and connected with her and their uh, mentor mentee relationship. And now Heather and I have that relationship. And so I think um, finding people like you don't have to limit yourself to industry as much as, you know, your personal goals and mission, I think that actually you'll get more out of it um, in terms of just staying true to what you want and who you are. And you'll learn a lot more too. So it's been great. Um, I have, I have obviously gotten so much out of it, but you know, she's, she's been a great friend to me. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know that about Laura, you know, working with somebody who's not even in the industry. 
Yeah. She she really is. Like I owe her so much because she helped me, you know, get out of my comfort zone and really just go for the moon and, you know, work your yeah. way up as much as you can. Uh, I know you're also helping hosting a podcast now with Galvanize. <laughs> How did this yeah. come about? Yeah. So um, Gabrielle, my co-host, she was my roommate in Jacksonville. And we just like, you know, really clicked, you know, I like, I don't know um, if you had a similar experience with your roommate, but I'm, I'm sure it was very similar, but yeah. we just clicked right away. Cause Laura put so much work into pairing roommates. Like, I don't think people really realize, like she puts a lot of time and energy into pairing you, um, in terms of just life experiences and sort of depth and maturity. And so, Gavin and I clicked really well. Um, you know, we just like really get each other. And she kind of similar relationship, like our our relationship with Laura didn't just end after the boot camp, you know, it was ongoing. And she actually reached out to me in like September of last year and was like, I wanna like do something for Galvanize that is year round, you know, like I don't want it to just be you know, limited to training camp. Like I want it to be year round. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And so we are kind of, you know, coming up brainstorming different ideas and checking in with Laura, how she felt about them. And um, eventually like right around Christmas, uh, we were like, all right, let's just do this. Like, let's just do the podcast. Like, this is like, it's going to be the easiest thing because she's on East coast time. I'm on Pacific time. And so that can be a little tricky, um, but we just started. And Laura, because she she knows that Gabrielle and I are very, very much intentional in representing what Galvanize is about and being very careful about how we represent it because we don't ever want it to just seem like a regular boot camp. You know, it's mm -hmm. so much more than that. <laughs> like anyone who's experienced it, like I've, there's so many jokes that it's like a cult and I totally understand that, but it's, it is so much more than just like a boot camp. Like it's so much more than just skills. And so we are very, very intent on making sure that we represent what it is truly about in our show. And one thing I love is Laura saw the need for, you know, exposure to, careers in sports that aren't just on camera and so she actually started to model the Jacksonville boot camp to sort of embrace that demand and so that boot camp has become sort of this hybrid boot camp for mostly women who don't want to be on camera and so we when you go to Jacksonville you interact with player development you interact with the PR team like you're interacting with a lot of the off-camera positions that all work super hard to make everything goes smoothly. And so one thing with the podcast is just we really try and continue to highlight just the variety of options that there are. And there's so many. I mean, it's like, I always laugh because people ask me like, what sports law is. And it's just so funny to me that like, people always have this approach of the sports industry of like, okay, how do I become a sports this? Or how do I become a sports that? But really the path to being whatever you want to be in sports is being the best at whatever you are and then applying it to sports. Like I, I can't 
um, stressing enough, like being the best at whatever you are, like if you're the best litigator, you have way more like a much higher chance of becoming a sports litigator. Like I had somebody talk to me and they wanted to be a sports business litigator. And I was like, great, go be the best business litigator you can be and then apply it to sports. Um, and I think it's really important for people to learn because like from a hiring perspective, they don't just want a person who woke up and decided they wanted to work in sports. They want the person who is the best at that job. I love that. Everything you just said in like the last like five minutes, I love everything about that, honestly. And I'm not just saying that. I connect so well with everything you said about Galvanize and how it kind of is a a little bit of a cult, but (laughs) the sisterhood that it is is incredible. And then go out and be the best you can and apply it to sports. I think that's such a unique way to look at it and something I've never done. You know, I've always known I wanted to get into the sports broadcasting field. But being Mm -hmm. the best version of me and then applying it to sports, I think is, you know, something to take forth. So thank you for that. I mean, (laughs) yeah, no, I mean, it's true. And you you can ask Laura, you know, she didn't just start in sports, right? Like she started anchoring, right? And Mm -hmm. she did news, just general news. And she will tell anyone that that makes her better as a storyteller. And I think that that's, it's very true that um, when you are the best at what you do, it is a lot easier to pursue the path that you want. Absolutely. I know you've talked to a bunch of people doing this podcast. Has there been one certain interview that really just gave the best advice that you fell in love with? Hmm. You know, it's so hard because everyone's advice is so different, but it's also good. And, um, you know, some of it is personal, some of it's professional, um, you know, Ashley Magosin, we interviewed her, I guess, three weeks ago, you know, we've suspended it just given everything that is going on, but we're, we're coming back live this week. Um, but she is the CFO for the Air Force Academy Corporation and just the way that she approaches every new beginning. Um, she really tries to sort of streamline um, communications. And that's really interesting to me because I have a corporate background. And so just seeing her approach, like for me personally, that was really, really interesting. Um, From a personal perspective, you know, uh, the episode with um, Dorian Craft, like she, her path in sports um, is so, so inspiring. Like, the adversity that she has overcome and the tenacity in which she has, you know, strove to um, achieve where she is now. Like it is, you cannot listen to her story without feeling inspired. It's, it's amazing. And so it really is so different depending on the person. Um, You know, we had Marcus Pollard, who's the director of player engagement for the Jags and like, Gabrielle and I both just like fell in love with him in Jacksonville because he is such a just good person. And I, I really think it's important to have men on the show too um, and hear their perspective on things because we can't, you know, we can't just do it. We can't advance ourselves and we can't empower ourselves if it's just women doing it. And so it's very important to us to have men on the show too 
Um, but he is just an incredible person. I would definitely encourage anyone who is interested in player engagement to listen to his advice because um, I think the nature of that role is so contingent on inspiration that you really have to be good at it. <laughs> what about Laura? Has there been one piece of advice that she's given you that has just really stuck with you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm definitely a person that will give you know, 98% of my energy to other people and try and reserve the two for myself. And, um, you know, she's a great um, advocate for myself, to myself. Uh, She's always reminding me to take care of myself. um, And it's so true. Like, I, I definitely am in a much better spot now than I used to be. And like, it was really hard in law school. Like, that is such a grind. Like, you really lose like (laughs) any aspect of self-care in law school, but you get it back. And so I'm in a good spot now, but I think we always need to be reminding each other as women to take care of ourselves because for whatever reason, we've been conditioned to sort of make sure that everyone else is okay before us. But the reality is like, if you look at it from a a perspective of the quality of work, like you really cannot give your best effort if you are not 100% as a person. Like, it's just not possible. And so, you know, self-care is productive in that sense. It's very productive because you're not going to give out a good product if you are not, you know, getting rest, eating right, you know, getting whatever time to yourself just to process whatever is happening in your life because in this industry, it moves so fast. And so, um, that's definitely something that she has instilled upon me is just self-care is very productive. Yeah. Which honestly, I feel like the older I get, the more I realize that, that you, if you aren't happy and you aren't doing the things that make you happy, like you're not going to put out a good product. Cause as much fun as I, like as much as I love my job, it is still work, right? You're still putting Mm -hmm. in so many hours and like, I wouldn't trade it for the world, but sometimes I have to take a step back and be like, okay, I need to like, relax for a second I need to take yeah there so that I can put out the best product mm-hmm. and it's important because I think because this industry is super glamorized we're sort of shamed to feel stressed you know it's like oh but you're working in such a fun industry like you know why are you complaining and I, I just like that drives me crazy because it's like you are entitled to feel stressed you are entitled to you know, not know if you can even complete whatever you need to do that day. Like, it's okay. Um, Like, just because your job is cool, doesn't make any of your feelings less valid. And I am constantly reminding people of that, because the burnout is so real, that it needs to be acknowledged more. It is so real. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Honestly, and I think when people think about like how glamorous this job is and can be, you're also forgetting yeah. that, I mean, from like a talent perspective, if you mess up like at work and you're an accountant, maybe only your boss is going to see it. But if you mess right. up here, like hundreds of thousands of people could be watching you and you just yeah. make yourself look like, like that's stressful all in itself, yeah. right? Yeah. And in the age of the internet, like there's just so much toxic stuff that happens on the internet. Like it is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, People definitely do not think of that when they think of the job, but it's, it's a huge component of it for sure. 
Uh, from you, from an agent perspective, I'm interested on your take on social media because obviously for talent, again, you mess up, somebody's going to hear about it, somebody's going to mm-hmm. tweet at you. How do you kind of have your clients handle that pressure? Um, just in terms of like responding to criticism or yeah, just, and just how to go about not, social media? Oh, not getting yourself down because, you know, when someone yeah. says, oh, oh yeah. you looked horrible today. Like, yeah. Yeah, it can make anybody cry, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, for sure. You know, I think it's really important. And this applies not just to this industry, but to anyone like at the outset, you have to recognize whose opinion matters to you. You know, and there's going to be certain people who their opinion really matters to you. If it's your mentor, or your family or a friend that really knows you like their opinions are going to matter to you. And you should listen to them because they really know you. And then everybody else just doesn't matter. Like, it just doesn't matter, you know? Um, People are just awful on the internet. And it's so crazy, like, how easy it is to be awful. And, you know, it's like you can just have this pretend identity and be so hateful. And I just, I, I never listen to that. You know, there's just so much of it, especially right now with just everything being so, um, you know, polarized and sort of harsh conversations happening. Like it, it's been pretty ugly, I think, for everyone right now. And so I think just at the outset as a person, you need to sort of, even if you literally write down the list, like, okay, whose opinion really matters? Like, because when you're in a bind, like those are the people that you're reaching out to, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're making a difficult decision, those are the people that you're going to ask. But Aside from that, you know, you just have to let it roll off you like water because uh, unfortunately, like, you know, I don't foresee a future where it stops. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish I did. I really did. But, you know, I just don't. And so it's like you do. It's not even necessarily like being like, you know, not having thin skin. It's just not even listening. So, yeah, but it's a tough learning process for sure. Absolutely. Uh, for somebody maybe that's listening that wants to think about getting an agent, let's go over the different services you have because you do have three mm-hmm. kind of levels. Uh, can you give a little bit of a detailed description about each kind? Yeah, we'll go from sort of the the least um, intense to the most. And so, you know, the sort of like intro one that I do, especially for younger women who aren't sure what they want to do is just job counseling. And so that's different for everyone. You know, for some, I look at their reels and sort of look at what they need to improve on and give them a list of people that they should be connecting to, depending on their goals. Um, For some of them, you know, it's just, they might not even know what they want. And so it's a, what are you good at? And who do you know? And what do you want? And so that's really sort of the baseline. And then the second one, this is one that I'm really passionate about because negotiation is definitely my passion. And so it's a negotiation prep and that's um, a set of two sessions. And basically I walk you through sort of, you know, an annotized version of what I do in preparing for negotiations. And so the first one is doing all of the research, right? Cause research is so important for being prepared in negotiation. Like it's, it's a lot easier to succeed in a conversation when it's supported by hard facts and you can't have hard facts if you don't go look for them. And so just saying like this market warrants this salary for this position, that's so important. 
and you know this is my q score this is how many people resonate with my name in this market stuff like that is super important and then the second session we just work on tone because tone is a really hard thing to strike happens all the time in nfl negotiations like you know you're gonna have a relationship with that person that you're negotiating with like you have to go have a relationship with them you have to buy in to their team and so you don't want to come at it like with a lot of animus you know it's it's a really hard balance to strike but i'm also really intentional with women of saying you know like do not back down from this like this is so important and so I definitely try and get them to that point, sort of that that happy medium of, you know, standing up for what is important to you without having to go to that job and it's uncomfortable for you. And then the last one is just, um, you know, my representation. And that is just, you know, free flowing, whatever you need. If you call me at three in the morning, I'm going to answer um, <laughs> and like, you know, whenever you need me, I'm there and I negotiate your contracts for you. And so that's kind of where I am right now. And I'm uh, thinking that I'm going to start um, doing some like billable hours just for contract review. And so I'm just sort of trying to figure out what my best hourly rate is. That can be kind of tough in sort of an unconventional legal industry. Um, but, you know, I want to be able to just, if you, if you don't need someone to negotiate for you, if you just need somebody with a legal education to look over your contract, like that's definitely something that I'm hoping to offer soon. And for people to reach out for you, Instagram, Twitter, is there a good email? What's the best way? Yeah, anything, honestly, like I've gotten DMs, I've gotten emails, like um, I have my email in my Twitter um, bio, but it's just, E staker s-t-a-k-e-r rep rep at gmail.com um but yeah you know the dms are open um you know i'm i'm open to connect in whatever way like i don't prefer a certain way so <laughs> yeah just find me open and ready to help that's what we love yep. to hear awesome emily Absolutely. well thank you so much i really do appreciate the time uh, i loved all the advice i love everything you stand for and you know, keep doing what you're doing. I, I love that you're helping women in whatever way is possible. Thank you. And best of luck with your show. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Wow. I cannot believe that we have done 10 episodes so far on this podcast. I wanted to do this in season so content stays new and exciting. Now that work is starting to take off, I'm going to get back into the swing of things. However, I may be dropping episodes here and there, so make sure that you are subscribed. Thank you to everyone for listening and following along these last couple of weeks. I can't believe what a community we've built and the amount of people that have reached out to me. I hope everybody is still staying safe. And until next time, I'm Rachel Vigil, and this is the Sports and Stilettos podcast. <laughs>